ਦੇ ਦਿਲ ਪਰਦੇਸੀ ਨੂੰ ਤੈਨੂੰ ਨਿਤਦਾਰੋਣਾ ਪੈ ਜਾਊਗਾ ਨਾਲ ਰੰਜੇਟੇ ਜੋਗੀ ਦੇ ਤੈਨੂੰ ਜੋਗਣ ਹੋਣਾ ਪੈ ਜਾਊਗਾ everyone welcome to flywheel defi your number one source for everything cracks defi and everything in between if you want to know what's going on in the world on chain you've come to the right place this is defi dave here with capital k and we're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel and this time around we got a load of the bitcoin flywheel and what's going on with bitcoin and defi uh with mr spataboom the founder of mm-hmm. badgerdao um uh, you know this one we get into the weeds about what it's like being a builder what's it like building with bitcoin and defi uh what's it like be working with dows and you know he shared some opinions about bitcoin which may surprise a few kit what are some thoughts about this one you know um i think mr boom came on here and just kind of dropped the mic and he just really cuz i really didn't keep up with the whole defi uh, bitcoin and defi space and he's kind of at the forefront of that been building since 2019 guys 2019 2019 so it's definitely an OG ancient history that's pre defi summer yeah. right and you can say when he dropped his mic there was a boom <laughs> yes um bada bing spada boom you know so bada i feel like boom. so he is definitely um at the forefront of that and this new product man this new product is exciting that badger is about to drop i oh, think yeah. it's really going to bring it to the forefront it's going to bring defi make yeah. D, uh, make bitcoin defi great again this yeah, is what i think is going to be incredibly useful and we go into a deep dive on that ebtc product right in our substack so go down below make sure you subscribe and get all the latest alpha and that we go into it right in our interview and if you want any alpha whatsoever keep up with us hit that bell button right now subscribe Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a thumbs up. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi. Join the conversation at FlywheelDefi on Telegram. You can follow me on Twitter at DefiDave22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Fraxeats is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Fraxeats today. Thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of Flywheel. Today we have on the founder and lead shepherd leading the Bitcoin front on defi in a multi-chain world we have on spadaboom spadaboom what's thank up you for boys us. thank you for having me yeah um, what, what an intro you. that intro was fantastic <laughs> i gotta say thank you thank you yeah i i love just improving just like rolling off the tongue it's just so much more fun like that um nice. and i'm really excited for this interview because you reached out saying how much you like the podcast and i've been a fan of badger dow since you guys launched mm-hmm. back um post defi summer in the defi winter mm-hmm. and it was just really cool cuz i remember that airdrop cuz if you just participated in defi in some form you got the airdrop in some way and i'm like oh this is sweet and i like the whole idea of 
being positive some. And it's like, how can we unite mm-hmm. the Bitcoin world and the Ethereum world at the time? Like multi-chain wasn't really a thing. It was still mostly just everything on Ethereum. But at the time, I thought it was really nice because I'm just like, you know, why are we fighting? Like we're all, we're all in this together. And so uh, let's go. Yeah, into, dude, I, like, was ju- I was just yeah. saying that, man. I was just saying that right before on a call just before this. And, you know, that airdrop in particular, you know, was, was Uniswap-esque. But inspired by, you know, in, in that, at that time, about 19 actions across a variety of different uh, DeFi protocols and, and supporting public goods and things along those lines. But, you know, it does show the power in certain instances, you know, of being able to use on-chain data to target and align the potential customers or users of a protocol and application. Like, you know, often we talk about the inefficiencies in Web3 as it relates to user acquisition. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's quite, it's pretty efficient to be able to say, hey, look, this address, I don't care who it is, could be Dave, could be Chris, could be Bob, doesn't matter, has, I don't know, $100 million worth of Bitcoin being used in these three applications for this period of time. And, and that is a potential candidate for this product that we're building. Let's try and engage them and build some type of alignment between what we're giving them and, and the products that's being built. Do you have any data on the retention from that airdrop? Uh, or mm. do you have any idea of, you know, how that distribution affected the feature of Badger after it launched? Oh, it was massive for Bootstrap in the community. Um, mm-hmm. You know, within that, from, from that point of the airdrop to, I don't know, a month and a half later, the number of Badger token holders just grew exponentially to almost like at that point, 25,000. And um, I can't remember how many people claimed. I have all the broken down data. I haven't looked at it mm-hmm. in a long time. It's, it's wild to think about it, but that was two and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, but it feels yeah, like forever. No, <laughs> like it's weird because yeah, it feels like, like it there just was happened. A big, there was a forever. huge, there was a huge lift in kind of all you know core metrics, capital in the products, community members in the Discord, token holders, forum forum participants. Like, you know, snapshot voters, all the things that you would look at, because we kind of started with one big bang. It was like, here's the airdrop, yeah. here's the app, yeah. here's the DAO, here's the forum, here's the this, here's the that. Like, let's all jump yeah, in. Yeah. And it was pretty, uh, pretty chaotic, as you would imagine. I'm looking at myself now being like, my bags probably haven't been this big under my eyes since the airdrop. <laughs> so, like, that yeah. shows you we're in some type of bear market and we're grinding our face off, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so for the people at home that may be unfamiliar, maybe they're newer to DeFi, maybe they're newer to Frax and this whole ecosystem, what is Badger? What are the products you guys built? And what do you guys have in store in the future? Because you announced something really exciting with LSDs. Yeah, so uh, for folks that don't know Badger, as, as we've kind of been talking about, it's been a few years, but Badger is a DAO that really has a clear focus and mission, and that's to uh, bring Bitcoin to DeFi and accelerate this ecosystem of builders that have have a similar belief in that ethos and, and really want to uh, contribute to making that a reality. So over the course of the last two years, we've launched a variety of different protocols and products to different active contributors within the DAO. Um, from yield aggregation products, or some call vaults, um, to um, interest-bearing Bitcoin, to a native Bitcoin bridge, to um, an algorithmic Bitcoin, um, to liquid lockers for CVA. And maybe this is where a lot of the Frax folks or that, that community would know mm-hmm. us from. Um, you know, we were one of the first protocols to launch uh, a liquid locker for CVX. 
and subsequently, you know, quickly became one of the, the largest kind of holders of CVX. And this is, I don't know, within the month or two when CVX launched in that range. Um, done the same thing kind of within the Aura ecosystem with Graviora being the only liquid locker mm-hmm. uh, on top of on top of Balancer. And um, and we've been very active from, you know, a, a treasury participation, treasury influence kind of standpoint, um, active user of FraxBP. Um, our protocol, you know, is a very uh, active user in the hidden hand ecosystem and Vodium, Vodium ecosystem. Um, I think we've been one of the only, you know, bribers um, on Frax and hidden hand for the last two or three months, something along those lines. But yeah, we've, we've built a variety of protocols. Um, and, you know, I, I would say, to be totally frank, in the protocols and products that saw pretty short term oriented success, um, success that was probably tied closer to the, the bull market and some of the craze that went on during that time. Um, you know, our vault product accelerated to, you know, almost $3 billion and, um, mm. you know, interest bearing Bitcoin got up to 500 million in, in um, total minted and our bridge had a billion dollars in volume go through it and a variety of things. Um, but, you know, as the bull market kind of subsided and certain protocols kind of fell to the wayside like REN and certain products needed to be deprecated and, and yields kind of got crushed, it made it very clear that um, some of these things weren't built for the long haul. And uh, that's, you know, that kind of ties into the the recent announcement that we've, or the, the recent introduction of um, EBTC that we brought uh, to market last week. But, you know, about seven months ago, we said to ourselves, okay, you know, we now have a much clearer understanding of not only how to do these types of things, but the on-chain data that helps us qualify how those products and protocols are performing because a lot of that data was hard to get in the past um you know across like 250 addresses Mm. and and all these different um kind of pieces to the puzzle but being able to look at that and say you know a lot of these products are not working they they don't meet certain policies that have been approved within the dow around when to keep things or when to deprecate things so we work towards deprecating those things um, deprecated in support of, you know, the REM protocol being shut down. And we said, you know what, we want to build a primitive that sits at the foundation of DeFi, akin to Frax, right? Versus building apps, six, seven layers mm-hmm. on top of, um, of DeFi. And, and we saw this, you know, enormous opportunity for a more decentralized Bitcoin, um, one that was completely on chain, smart comp- con- smart contract based, was not uh, relying on bridges, and was you know obviously completely transparent, um, so that a user and holder or whatever within seconds on their phone can determine the solvency of the asset um, that they're holding. Which you know over the course of last year we saw time and time again, um, primarily off chain, how that was not um, the case, and and there was a lot of issues. Uh, with some of those designs and centralized entities supporting those. Um, so, you know, with, with EBTC, we've, we finally have an opportunity after the merge with proof of stake that allows for this convergence, to your point, Dave, around, you know, ETH and Bitcoin, right? Always fighting heads, always maximalism, you know, at the forefront. Mm. And with all the products that we created and protocols that we created, they 
we didn't have an opportunity to really tie these things together. We were always just kind of stretching to make it happen. And because of that, needed to use external incentives that weren't sustainable, built on things that weren't as decentralized as we'd want them to be and do that type of stuff. But now um, in a post-word, in a post-merge world, we finally have this opportunity. And, you know, with EBTC, in terms of like its underlying mechanics, it's backed exclusively by liquid staked ETH. And it's an over-collateralized synthetic Bitcoin that anybody could uh, mint or borrow against um, their LSD. And naturally, similar to things like, um, I guess you could say like DAI, right? Um, being a CDP-based protocol, you know, it, get, it enables anybody um, to borrow Bitcoin. And unlike many other uh protocols of, of a similar nature, uh, there's no fees associated with it. And why is that possible? It's because of, you know, this, the ETH staking layer. You can bring these, econ these economics to protocol design that we couldn't bring before. So in our case, it's all right, you can use an LSD to borrow Bitcoin, which opens up long ETH, short BTC trade on loop, right? The flipping and trade, which is really cool. You don't need to charge borrowing fees, interest fees, minting fees, redemption fees, none of those things. And you can take a percentage of the yield from the underlying collateral. And that could what that is what can fuel the protocol. And then you could use a percentage of that yield and repurpose it to drive utility on the actual synthetic Bitcoin. So what situation are you avoiding there? The, the lack of sustainability in incentives to drive and accelerate growth, right? You look at something like Frax. Frax did a phenomenal job in accelerating its um, growth and, and, and um, assets in market during you know, late 21, when the bribe market and the efficiencies on those bribes were through the roof. And you know, I could imagine, you know, in talking to Sam quite a few times, you, know, you, you look at it and say, well, if we wanna maintain a billion dollars in fracks that's sitting in curve pools, you know, we obviously need to have some type of vote influence. How do we get that influence? What's the minimum amount of influence? And then being able to sit back and say, like, that is a strategy to, you know, kind of reach that threshold and maintain that threshold versus a threshold where it goes to 3 billion and then back to 50 million, like some other, you know, uh, synthetic assets, stablecoin protocols have faced. So, you know, that, that's what we've thought a lot about. And um, we feel like with the design of EBTC in particular, the, the utility can scale with the, with the underlying collateral, which is obviously over collateralized. It introduces capital efficiency as a composable borrowing facility. And it finally unlocks the opportunity that exists with bringing, you know, each staking yield to, um, to Bitcoin. So what challenges does EBTC face uh, when it goes live to market, like how does it maintain peg? I know it's a soft peg, but how do you ensure there's liquidity? Um, what is your plan for all that? Yeah, so we're gonna we're, the the contracts are gonna be immutable at launch. Obviously, we're gonna have a very strenuous uh, security uh, exercise leading into it. Um, for anybody that's listening that participates in Code Arena, kind of keep your eyes out for that and a variety of other uh, security audits that we're gonna have. Um, but to bootstrap launch, really, it's going to first start with uh, the Badger Dow Treasury. Um, you know, the Treasury has a substantial position in WBTC and in ETH. 
you know, I think the treasury today is about 40 million, uh, to which 65% of that is not in Badger. And there's about 35% of current uh, Badger uh, on-chain liquidity, which is 75% of the actual fully diluted supply. Um, but, you know, Badger, uh, the Badger Dow Treasury um, has that as protocol-owned liquidity, which is, which is most of it's tied to WBTC. So I'm being able to kind of shift that over and bootstrap this protocol along with, you know, our existing influence in the Curve and Convex ecosystems and Balancer and Aura. It's really about just getting that ball rolling, right? Getting that ball rolling and then enabling those underlying mechanics of the ETH uh, staking yield repurposing to potentially participate, you know, in bribe markets and drive efficiencies to those um, to those existing LPs. And then in terms of um, in terms of peg stability on the floor, uh, we intend to have uh, redemption. So the ability for anybody to redeem um, EBTC for um, the price of Bitcoin against um, staked ETH, like an LSD. And on the ceiling, um, we intend to have a tight collateralization ratio because of the, the, the nature of these assets being um, so correlated, you know, you can get much more uh, strict and or tighter on that collateralization ratio, which obviously speaks to having a ceiling. And that's really to get out of the gate, get the wheels turning, bootstrap some liquidity, get things going. And then from there, you know, we intend to introduce and, and ideally have this ecosystem of builders, because that's a big, you know, that's a big, foot forward for us with this protocol is, you know, we want as many great builders, as many teams to build on and integrate um, EBTC. And with that, potentially bring um, some additional peg stability mechanics to market. You know, if those are things similar to that of AMOs, um, peg stability modules in different forms and fashions, mm -hmm. and just, you know, you know, new and innovative ways to um, drive and keep peg. And, and I also think, you know, using a percentage of the staking yield as a way of kind of fluctuating interest rates to drive that peg stability is also very interesting. But we want to build a, we want to bring a, a base protocol to market, again, get the, get the ball going, and then build some unique things on top in collaboration with the ecosystem. Yeah, if I had to make an observation about BadgerDAO and its evolution, it seems like at first, you guys were hunting for Bitcoin based yield on chain, and that was your primary service. But over time, you evolved into basically becoming a focusing on Bitcoin based Bitcoin pegged stable coins, whether it's, you know, the re, the algorithmic one that you had, the interest bearing one, or now uh, EBTC. Um, and that's like, that's a really cool uh, niche because no one else is doing that. And it's important mm -hmm. to have that especially bitcoin is still the big dog sometimes we forget you know being an eth land or multi-chain land that we forget there's this whole other ecosystem that's actually still number one over here and growing in utility as you know we'll get into with the ordos and stuff so it's important that we still have that diplomatic connection from here is that a good observation yeah dude the fact of the matter is is like you know being the largest cryptocurrency in the world the longest standing cryptocurrency, the largest market cap, the largest number of holders, there's obviously an appetite for people to do things with it. Yeah. <laughs> and that appetite doesn't exist on the native chain, the native Bitcoin chain. And a lot of the barriers, like, you know, here's some interesting stats. A lot of people don't, you know, haven't looked into some of these stats, but they're pretty interesting. You know, what, what, I, de what I deem to be the case 
is that native Bitcoin holders, for the most part, aren't that excited about using um, Bitcoin on ETH, EVM compatible chains, um, alternative layer ones or layer twos. And the, the proof to kind of the, the data to support that, you know, is when you look at the amount of Bitcoin that's been brought into Ethereum, you know, most of it, I think the number is something staggering, like 60% of it, no, 70% was minted by um, two groups, right? Because most of the Bitcoin on ETH mm. um, has is permission. You have to be a permission merchant and you have to be onboarded with mm -hmm. Bitco. So two of those groups were 3AC and uh, Alameda. So well. you got two <laughs> groups that obviously were um, using that permission state to be able to take advantage and arbitrage the the asymmetric uh, information between you know retail users depositing or LPs giving them Bitcoin and then their ability to actually use it. I'm sure in protocols that were offering the ability to use it back then and, and continue to do so. And then subsequently, since they've gone away, the, the Bitcoin supply on Ethereum has shrunk by 40%. But mm. what, what's really interesting is you then look at, you know, what's happening with that other 40, what's happening with that other 60%? Well, it's sitting in protocols like Maker, Aave, Compound, Uniswap, which are, you know, literally represent almost all of the, the Bitcoin on ETH or most of it, you know, they're using it as collateral. Right. It's, it's obviously a very prestigious collateral asset. And then slowly but surely, if we can find new ways to drive utility for it, the appetite will continue to grow. And we learn from first experience to your point, Dave, around, you know, our our past history. That was the barrier we kept running into, which was, you know, one, we weren't confident and comfortable with the representations of Bitcoin on Ethereum. But then in trying to build applications and protocols to drive the utility on those things, we couldn't do it by ourselves, right? We weren't in a position where, you know, the DAO had hundreds of millions of dollars of influence in certain ecosystems to be able to make that a reality, like on Curve and Convex, right? Or, or whatever it may be. So we continued to find ourselves in a position where to drive substantial usage, it required those additional incentives and those incentives just weren't sustainable. And the ability to get them sustainable was stunted is what was stunting the overall utility and the ability to um, uh, to grow that over time. So, again, you know, in this in this new world, in this uh, you know, post merge merge world, I think these opportunities open up and uh, sustainability in utility of Bitcoin in this ecosystem can grow. And I think with, you know, the overall appetite being there for uh, more native DeFi users to want to use that versus, you know, um, Bitcoin holders, you know, the, the, the demand I think can grow uh, to places we never thought possible. Where do you think it can grow outside of collateral do you think it's from like new institutional players coming in do you think it's something that hasn't been even discussed yet uh what do you think well e even basic stuff right like LPing, yield mm -hmm. like even those two things those two things can can grow it like i think the market cap right now on uh, bitcoin on eth is something like three and a half or four billion dollars or something like pretty easy to see i think at one point on curve 
there was three or four billion dollars worth of WBTC sitting there, right? So, like, mm-hmm. to see you know an attractive and consistent yield on even just Curve one protocol, that in itself mm-hmm. could probably help drive it to five hundred million or a billion additional. So I think you know it. it, it I actually, and I'm, I'm a bit biased being a long term Bitcoin ETH holder. Um, I, I think it's a multi trillion dollar opportunity uh, in the end of the day, but you know, basic things like being able um, to run different types of, you know, on-chain strategies, options, derivative, leverage, mm. um, obviously lending. The BTC LP. trade, the, the long ETH short BTC trade that you talked about. That's what you're building is like that as a service, like a vault like that as a service. <laughs> yeah, what's actually cool is it feeds both sides, right? So if you're like, you know... Um, I think that ETH's going to flip Bitcoin and I have a high level of conviction. Okay, cool. One click of a button, do that at 10x leverage with complete transparency and, and confidence in you know, the underlying uh, infrastructure supporting that. And then what that does is that's you know, creating this opportunity to drive a bunch of yield or utility or repurposed incentives for the people that actually just want to hold EBTC maybe because it's more decentralized because it's, it, you know the their um, trust factor in, in the underlying contracts the yield opportunities the the ability to LP so they're hold they're, they're participating there and they're almost benefiting from folks that are getting a different type of service right this ability to long ETH short Bitcoin and then um, the yield is or the incentives are significantly amplified on this side because there's such a small percentage of EBTC being used here versus the collateral that was used to make that a reality and uh, the yield on the overall collateral that, that's enabling that. So it's, again, it's just like a world where, you know, the Bitcoiners and the and the ETH people and the ETH mm-hmm. ecosystem can come together in a way that benefits, then benefits both, right? I want to short Bitcoin and I believe in the flipping Great. Here's a big red button. Boom, there you go, rocking and rolling. Um, and then yeah. on the flip side, I want to hold Bitcoin and, and DeFi and use it. Great, I can do it with a, an asset that has better decentralized properties than what exists today. And I have confidence in the sustainability of how I'm using it and the incentives that are driving me to use it. Yeah. You're a residence finance dude, so I'm sure you had yeah. some questions. So, so I, I, I got a question, Mr. Boom, on the designing Please. of how the ebtc and the yield staking reward kind of works um so the there's no fee for redemption will draw all of that because you are taking a portion of the staking rewards from all the lsds but that's just for badger right how about for the folks who are you know holding the ebtc at the end of the day do they also get a piece of the uh lsd staking yields well, the intention, there's just only one piece, right? Like, I, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's unrealistic to think with how competitive LSDs are and honestly how mm-hmm. competitive it's going to be. Like, we're talking about right. the staking layer is going to change the world, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's, there's really, there's only so much of the pie you can cut and there needs to be a strong value exchange. So the idea is that percentage that's going to Badger is completely going to be repurposed to drive the utility for the holders, at least in the early stages in the bootstrapping phases uh, okay. to get things off the ground. And I can imagine a time where, you know, if there's that much fees, you know, coming here, 
you know, you could parse it out in a way with, you know, some data to support it to maybe, you know, drive incentives for not only just, you know, EBTC utility, maybe it's like EBTC utility in this protocol, EBTC utility in that protocol, right, that protocol, right. that protocol, or something more akin to like Frax BP, where if someone pairs with this, you can get a percentage that goes in incentives mm -hmm. towards something, right? Like, I, I think the opportunities are, are kind of endless there. No, I think that's super sick that you're using, you know, LSD as the collateral to mint, you know, I'm sure you, you got way more products in mind, starting with just EBTC, but I would imagine for the folks who are, Hey, I want to be, I want to hold BTC, but I want to get much more utility out of it than just holding it on the Bitcoin blockchain. I can hold it here in EBTC while earning a portion of the ETH staking yields. It's is now you're intertwining the design of ETH with like the uh, ideology of like a BTC holder, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I want the most pristine asset in the world, but I also want yield from it. And then you get yield from the second most like, pristine asset in the yield? world. Who, who doesn't want yield? <laughs> right? Like, dude, so, <laughs> like, that's, yeah. what, that's what always baffled me. It's like, you know, I'm sitting around with Bitcoin. I haven't touched Bitcoin on the Bitcoin chain. I don't know since like 2015 or 16. Right, I don't even right. Know anymore, like for what? It's Dude. like it's great. It's it's sitting around. It's I don't need to touch it. I don't need to worry about it. I feel confident in you know the the how it's being stored. But yeah, like when it comes to utility, um, again, I just think you know the ETH staking layer and what's coming from that. Like it's going to change mm -hmm. the whole world. Yeah, as it relates to protocols, products companies you know the risk-free rate mm -hmm. of return some of the best yield of any asset class anywhere in the yep. whole world in a sustainable way that's fueling like this whole you know decentralized future in crypto economy like it's 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 totally crazy what what i think is going to happen um in the near future yeah and mm -hmm. go ahead Kent. No, no, no. I, I just wanted to add this this last point is that like in my mind, I'm already thinking of like, you know, a, a really sick product would be if you're able to incorporate with any of these um, perpetual exchanges is like, hey, I'm going to take my LSDs, mint my EBTC, use EBTC as collateral, short all the ETH notional so that I am flat on ETH and I just have, you know, BTC exposure with ETH staking yields, right? Like. Mm -hmm part of like that is just super clean you, you don't have to worry yeah, about any even other like, you know, there's uh, just, price exposure. there's just so many there's so, so many, many options like even like even you think about like minting ebtc versus your stake teeth putting it in something like Fraxland, get getting you know uh frax using that frax to either short or long the eth usd fee because right you're already short eth BTC, but you think that the ETH price is still going to go up in USD terms mm -hmm. or doing something interesting around like the, the Bitcoin USD or even something like, you know, getting Delta neutrality off of like using staked ETH or a Bitcoin LP in EBTC staked ETH mm -hmm. pool to build some neutrality there. Or like, again, the, the opportunities are endless. And that's what's so great about it. It's like completely composable. Anybody can integrated anybody can do whatever the hell they want to do with it and and you know they can feel confident that again like the asset like and, and there's mm -hmm. different like you can integrate the borrowing functionality or this this kind of unique long short functionality in a variety of ways mm -hmm. but even integrating just the asset 
for it being, and I think that's where there's a unique opportunity here too. It's like, you think about Bitcoin and DeFi, like no one's advocating for it. Like no one's mm -hmm. advocating. It's like taboo, yep. right? You like, it's, it's like really taboo when you, when you think about it. So yeah. when, when you, when you imagine like, you know, the ability to build an ecosystem of people building really mm -hmm. great things on top of protocols or whatever, you need evangelization. You need things that drive them to be excited, to partner, to integrate, to build with, to do all that type of stuff. Yeah. And I think that's one of the unique positions Badger's in, you know, definitely um, in comparison to, you know, the quote unquote, you know, incumbent that, that exists, which, you know, um, there's no, there's no shade being thrown, you know, I, I'm a, a holder, a big fan and, and um, for, for that specific purpose, but like this evangelization, I think could have, you know, the next wave of protocols building on top of something like EBTC. Mm -hmm. And what that naturally will do, will just remove some of the censorship risks that exist today at the foundation of DeFi, right? Because DeFi is built on the back of ETH, you know, thankfully, right? A, a completely centralized Bitcoin and a bunch of centralized or partially centralized stable coins. Like yeah. that, that is DeFi, right? Taking yeah. off, you know, our, our bags and, and not thinking about those things. Like that's what it looks like. And that's scary. Like that is not mm -hmm. what DeFi is intended to be. So we most certainly need to, you know, bring some more censorship resistance to that base layer and um, increase the decentralized footprint at the foundation. Yeah, and that's the next point I want to get to is, is trustless BTC on ETH or multi-chain possible? And if it is, how, what does it look like? Yeah, I, th I think it's um, one that's native to the network and, and is not mm. uh, relying on bridges, in my opinion. I think there's a ways to go. And I don't think they actually bring that much value. I hate to mm -hmm. say it like that when it comes to, to Bitcoin in particular, but, you know, why can't we have, like, you got to think about like what makes a synthetic asset or a representation of another asset, even if it's a non-crypto asset, you know, um, even, uh, even um, usable or, or I don't want to use the term valuable, but, you know, the, prominent on, in, in the crypto land, and a lot of it is, you know, uh, price feeds and the consistency and reliability of those price feeds, right? So just like even if you think about gold, what percentage of gold is, you know, and tr gold traded is paper gold versus physical gold, you know, like most of mm -hmm. it is just a synthetic version of that. So I think there's just that much more of an opportunity for a representation for Bitcoin that's smart contract only that leverages the price feeds and the, you know, the reliability of arguably the most, uh, uh, the most secure price feeds that exist in, in crypto, right? Obviously they're going to be based off of Bitcoin and based off of, of ETH, um, since they, they're the longest standing assets. And, um, and that, and that's where I see, you know, that's where I see that opportunity. And I think that opportunity can be much, much bigger than anyone building on Bitcoin or anyone trying to convince those on Bitcoin to bring it um, to ETH. Yeah, interesting. You're right about the price feeds. The Bitcoin and Ethereum price feeds are the strongest in existence for any asset, which makes more of a case for a product like yours. And the fact that, you know, as you point out, 
most Bitcoiners just want to stay on Bitcoin um, and don't want to come over to ETH or whatever. Um, even builds more of a case for what you're saying. Yeah, and then like, you know, most of these people also use centralized exchanges. Mm -hmm. So for them to go to a centralized exchange and swap, you know, their native Bitcoin for a synthetic version, that's also not, that's also um, not uh, unexpected. That's not unrealistic, right? That avoids this need, like, like don't get me wrong, um, bridges serve their purpose, but like, you know, they're, and, and we're, and they're needed. And like, there is going to be decentralized bridges and these bridges are going to um, drive substantial amount of capital and um, connect, you know, these, these two chains and, and other chains uh, most certainly. But I just think there's going to be a variety of alternatives for all different types of users, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, we start seeing things like a base that was announced last week from Coinbase Right. Like mm -hmm. if you have a just just out of simplicity, like if you have a Coinbase wallet and you have assets on that wallet and you're already onboarded and with the click of a button, the same way you were trading Bitcoin or ETH for Doge or Sheep or whatever the heck, you can swap into something and then another click of a button, you can earn 4%. Like that's a, a much, much different experience than, oh, I have to bridge. I got to wait X amount of time. I got to manage two different block explorers. I got to hold my breath in case shit doesn't get there. I then got to mm -hmm. get there and I got to go and deposit it into an LP. I then got to stake that LP in this other protocol. I then going to do these things with this wallet and that wallet. And I got to make sure I have ETH over here. That's ridiculous, right? Like that's not mm -hmm. the, you know, the quote unquote uh, retail user by any means, but there's, there's a space for that, right? Just like in, you know, traditional finance, there's just a whole layer a whole stack of different layers um, with different participants with different appetites, different risk profiles, different capital allocation parameters. I think we're going to see the same thing. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the action that's going on in Bitcoin right now with ordinals? Because honestly, I think ordinals are just super sick. I'm definitely have like a soft spot for them. I think the whole, like, like I loved how they rolled it out with, I think inscriptions is such a great name for an NFT. I'm just like wondering like what your thoughts are with ordinals and will that open some minds to be like, Hey, like maybe there's actually stuff I can do with Bitcoin other than just hold it. Maybe it will, you know, get them to bridge off or who knows. Yeah. Listen, I, like I'm all for um, more utility on the Bitcoin chain. Now, how scalable is that utility? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, and even for those that have used ordinals or other, other NFTs on Bitcoin, um, it's nowhere close to as seamless of a user experience than what you would find on ETH or other uh, NFT oriented chains. The one thing that, that kind of rubs me the wrong way and it's kind of turned me off a bit to it is, you know, I remember when NFTs on ETH were really picking up steam, like when CryptoPunks really started to, I, it must have been like, I don't know, March of 21 or something like that, April, May. And like, all there was, was like shade and hate coming from people in the Bitcoin community, joking, right click, save, right click, save, what a joke, what a joke, what a joke. And now these same people are coming on and saying, oh, one of the coolest and best things that's happening in Bitcoin to show you that Bitcoin is such a great network that you can build anything on is NFTs. It's like, yeah, give me a fucking break. It's like, you know, don't talk one, you know, don't talk one way out of your mouth and another way out of your ass, right? Like, you know, it, I, I'm again, I'm all for it. I think it's great. 
I, what, what really rubs me the wrong way is when people say one thing, flip the script, say it another way, when nothing's really changed, if anything, it's, it's just supporting, you know, their bags and what they want to see happen, even overlooking, you know, the limitations, especially today from a user experience and from an onboarding perspective. Right. So yeah. that that's, I'm excited to see, see what happens there. Um, I'm not, you know, overly, I'm not overly enthusiastic. You know, I'll just kind of put it that way. Yeah. It's more like show me incentive. I'll show you an outcome. And all these people were throwing shade and hating on Bitcoin, hating on NFTs on other chains when basically they're doing the same thing. At the end of the day, it's all social consensus. It's like people agree like, okay, this Satoshi has value or like, okay, this NFT, this ERC 721 has value. Um, and at the end, that's what matters most. It doesn't, and someone's incentives or bags. It's just irrelevant to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on, you know, because of the whole ordinals hype, it's kind of had this domino effect of people be, being excited, not only NFTs on Bitcoin, but DeFi on Bitcoin as well. There's, you know, stacks and there could be other things like, what are your thoughts <laughs> Why, why don't you continue? Why don't you continue that conversation? Why don't you continue that? There's stacks, <laughs> and then there's other things. No, there's there's RSK stuff. No, listen, yeah, like oh yeah, um, rootstock, yeah, yeah, like my so my my I don't think it's like I I, I genuinely think it's more uh, narrative oriented, mm. um, and shilly ish, but yeah, like I I just I I just can't see. How like and I, I think I tweeted about it yesterday or today I can't remember but it was like you know the overall concept is you know why would there be a flourishing ecosystem of DeFi on Bitcoin when there is no developer support no toolkits no primitives nothing along those lines when you could easily with like I don't even know what the ratio would be one one thousandth of an ease of actually building something on ETH, any EVM compatible chain, NL2s, that brings the same utility for a representation on, of Bitcoin in that ecosystem, right? Like I can speak from firsthand experience. When we went on this journey to start building Badger, this was probably mid or late 2019 in that range, you know, you know, being a long-term Bitcoin enthusiast, I, I started there and the limitations were mind blowing mm -hmm. and, and they haven't gotten much better. And today uh, to be able to build protocols and drive utility for Bitcoin, if that's what someone wants to do and build an ecosystem around that, which I'm obviously working hard to try and make a reality, there needs to be, there needs to be an ecosystem, um, to make that happen. And I think there's a really long way to go for that ecosystem to exist on Bitcoin, both from a technical um, limitation and also a social limitation, right? Like even we were just talking about it, look at, you know, the, there's this whole divide. There's people saying, look how great NFTs are on Bitcoin. And then there's people like that are arguably well-respected within that ecosystem, kind of damning the fact that this is even possible with NFTs. Right. Mm. Um, so I don't I think there's going to be some pretty stark barriers and even something like stacks gets a lot of a lot of hate from, you know, those communities 
although they're, you know, wow. they've been um, actively building and building hard and kind of alone for a long time. But I just think, you know, it comes down to, I just think the opportunity for a Bitcoin representation in DeFi that lives on Ethereum, on any EVM compatible chains, on L2s is going to be so much bigger, especially in the short term than anything that's going to be built on Bitcoin to enable Bitcoin holders to get access to DeFi. So, Swedaboom, I've always had this reservation with BTC, right? It's like, will it fade into irrelevance given how it used to be, it used to have the mantle of the most pristine form of collateral, the best type of money you can have. But in a post-merge world, that that kind of title is being seriously challenged by ETH. So, like, do you, I feel what you guys are building yeah, I, I at think... Badger is a way to keeping it relevant. Yeah, for most certainly. That's definitely part of it. Um, at the same time, I think that if we think too small like that, like in reality, you know, how much of an impact is that going to have for this to be a trillion dollar asset in the near term, right? Like, that's too small thinking. Like there's, you know, if you just look at global commodities or global assets and the foundation of uh, infrastructure to allow for the largest um, investors and institutional, you know, great uh, capital allocators and so forth to um, hold, trade, have all these products, you know, derivatives that sit on top of it. Like Bitcoin hasn't even gotten there yet. We're still looking for like a, a spot ETF on like exchanges in North America. So I think there's still so much room and, you know, it's, it's just always, I, I think for the near term, it's always going to be Bitcoin. It's always going to be Bitcoin and ETH. I think, um, you know, Bitcoin has been able to get to a point where, you know, there's less fear over regulatory scrutiny on the asset. And that gives more confidence, I think, to like the quote unquote powers that be to like make it more of a traditional type um, tradable asset that, you know, it can find its way into those doors quicker and hopefully, you know, lead the way for something like Ethereum, if not at the same time. Um, but I, I, I honestly, dude, I think it's just, there's so much more to go before Bitcoin even hits the main stage. It's still this, you know, weird crypto thing that a bunch of Lambo guys, you know, bought and sell and chill with like, dog analogies and like weird shit like it people don't take it seriously um at at, at you know the quote-unquote you know highest levels mm -hmm. i keep using those terms because it's like that's not i think the future is gonna be a future that's driven by you know the the little guy right it's gonna be driven by code not by this like you know hierarchy of you know old money and 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 Polit, you know, politic, politic, uh, politics, excuse me, and, and just like power manipulation and, and all this type of stuff. I think that this is about disenfranchising that. Like that's what, you know, crypto is mm -hmm. about. That's what Bitcoin's about. That's what ETH's about. So I think there's a ways to go before that becomes a reality. I think there's a ways, there's going to be a big bumpy road. Uh, they're not going to go with a fight. And this will, you know, this is like long-term stuff. So I think as we, mm -hmm. as we get there and as we continue to go there, like you can't overlook the um, network security of the Bitcoin chain and 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 how strong that security is over the course of 14 years. You can't overlook the number of Bitcoin holders 
um, that exist in the world, the number of you know integrations and waves, and just overall, even if you look at the crypto market, you know Bitcoin still like dominates from uh, you know spot trading, derivative trading, perps, all that type of stuff. Right, it's still one of the most traded assets, and, and crypto for the most part is still primarily a speculative market. Like you know, you, yeah. you don't have you know all these all these um, participants using mm-hmm. DeFi. That's for sure. That there's only like for, you know hundred <laughs> people using DeFi. You're, you're talking to three percent of the people right yeah. here. Yeah, right here, right? Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> A hundred percent of them listen to flywheel, so they're all yeah. they're all here. They're all in, you're all listening. Yeah. But yeah, you you bring up a really good point. Um, with you know, most of this is still in its nascent stages. Crypto, Bitcoin, especially DeFi, especially like this area of crypto, it's viewed as some exotic, foreign thing. That's like what's going on over there. It kind of scares me. Let me just go on with the rest of my life. That's how ninety percent of people feel. And the challenge that crypto faces going into the next cycle is how do we change that from crypto being a place of speculation to a place of actual utility? Agreed. I think, and that's something that you can even feel if you've been around a couple bear markets or even the last bear market, you couldn't do anything but capitulate into Bitcoin or ETH. Like, it's not like you could hold yeah. the shit coins that you bought at ridiculous valuations <laughs> of garbage white paper. To be like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, borrow some dollars against that. Oh, I'm going to go all pee with that. Oh, I'm going to earn with that. <laughs> should, like, that just didn't exist. You should tell Alameda like, oh, that. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if the, the only option was like hold it to literally died or like capitulate at a mm-hmm. point where you could just stay in the game. So like the utility is mm-hmm. already here for mm-hmm. those active participants. But to your point, Dave, right? Like that's such a like a ridiculously small 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 sliver of of the yeah. opportunity and, and the actual participants so hopefully those folks that are you know listening to this you know actively using crypto in this new economy also become the people that want to um, help move this forward and actually yeah. build towards this future because like that's just how that's the cyclical nature also of like you know how this thing just continues to swell the amount of builders that are building today is so much bigger than there there was a few years ago which was so much bigger than the years before that and you know i i think it's like almost a rite of passage like this shit this bear mark the bear markets hurt so much and they challenge <laughs> you emotionally financially they, they, they challenge just your own self-worth, the decisions that you've made. In some instances, it challenges like how you manage your family life and your business career and your professional career. Like so much of it's tied together. And those that are able to get through it and, you know, continue to keep the long term, you know, vision of what could make crypto great, you know, moving them on a day to day. And especially those that say, like, I'm going to use that as fire to like go all in now. Like that's why in a few years from now, there's just going to be the, this huge wave of, or a bigger wave of builders that there was, you know, in the last, um, mm-hmm. the last cycle. Yeah, absolutely. It's the fire that molds you. And I mean, it happened to me, it happened to Kit. And I can't, I honestly can't imagine doing anything else. And I think something that crypto needs to face in the future is like being able to like make bridges outside of crypto and being able to 
better inform people of like what's actually going on and better inform. So it's not just like, oh, Dogecoin, oh, monkey pictures, oh, this, oh, that. It's like, you know, we, we definitely have a challenge ahead of us. And um, I, I've been thinking about this a lot from the speech I've been writing for ETH Denver, which will be, this will be, this will be released after ETH Denver. So, you know, for everyone um, that's listening, go listen to that. Um, but what I was going to get to, um, go, going back to just DeFi and the hundred participants in DeFi, just kidding, but the few thousand or whoever participants in DeFi, um, what, uh, in your experience in like the past few years participating in DeFi, you know, running a DAO, seeing, you know, the cycles from DeFi summer, the food coins, and then to like multi-chain madness, L1 cycle, blah, blah, blah. Has, how has your DeFi thesis changed? since then and how has it evolved and what things have you observed and noticed? Yeah, that's a great question. I say, you know, um, in 19 and 20, you know, I was um, very much so a believer in, you know, uh, Dow through and through both and, and decentralization through and through both operationally and and how an on-chain business that potentially creates decentralized technology should run and of course the decentralization of the underlying technology which you know when i think about how that's kind of changed it's been more about like um being realistic with the inefficiencies that come in just as like completely wild west type on-chain organization and the the potential limitations that actually brings to build the DAO to a point where it's sufficiently decentralized. And, you know, when I think about that, that shift for me in my mind, you know, I believe much more so in progressive decentralization at an operational level and more immediate decentralization at a technology level. So as we bring smart contracts mm -hmm. to life, we bring technology to life, we should do everything that we can within the limitations that exist today to be as decentralized and economically viable that you can be with this password censorship resistance, which, of course, isn't a reality today. And then on the operational side in an on-chain business, it should have a framework that lends itself to become, you know, um, ultra decentralized, but start with having decentralized properties and one of the things I'm a big fan of is, um, you know, uh, having more isolated decisions by qualified groups or councils or representatives that represent the greater token holders versus each token holder with, with that is lacking information, lacking a lot of the stuff that can enable them to make, you know, the appropriate decision or even the wherewithal. Why the hell do I want to vote on this thing? Or vote on that thing like i don't give a shit just want token price go up right like that's most you know that's most mm -hmm. folks um but if you can have more of this like you know represent representative democracy where you know certain groups with qualified skill sets and competencies and um uh, commitment and passion to focused areas are almost voted in and have to continue to adhere to you know the standards of the community while having a very 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 like as transparent um on-chain operation as possible from you know this number to that number like everything needs to be 
in a place where people could actually see how this operation is functioning to even get the type of wherewithal to want to contribute to one of those groups or even give a shit to say, I can see some efficiencies here and here. How are you supposed to see efficiencies or be able to contribute to push things forward if you don't have the information? Never mind, you know, it's one thing to have the information unguarded, meaning, you know, certain folks aren't holding that information to themselves, but it's another thing to be able to even display that information in an automated way on chain that anybody at any time can get a glimpse of and get a feel for. So I'd say that's probably been um, my biggest shift since like 2020. And that just comes from, you know, the realities of seeing how these DAOs kind of grow and flourish outside of being an investor in probably 10 or 15 different DAOs and, and projects from the early stages to, you know, growing to be something much bigger and, and even contributing and, and participating at Badger in a, in a, in a, a big way. Like, you know, it, it, I like saying this. Everyone likes to talk about how they think DAOs should run, but they've never fucking run a DAO. And I'm not saying I've run a DAO, but I've been involved in the weeds of what it looks like to go from here's an idea to let's build this community footprint and, and ecosystem around it and create some cool tech to like, you know, thousands and thousands of people wanting to get involved and participate in this way and take ownership around this and do this and that and this thing and that. And, you know, so um, I, I think that's that's the reality is everyone, everyone wants to be everyone wants to talk about how DAO should run. But no one knows their head from their ass as it relates to running a DAO. It's easy to be a commentator. It's hard to put your hands in the dirt and do the work. Yeah, and, and running, and I just want to clarify, like running the DAO, like there shouldn't be a person running the DAO. When I use that term, I mean by, I mean, you know, actively participating in the inner workings of how those decisions actually come to light, which could mean being part of a council, which could mean be an, being an active participant in token voting and, and electing certain council members. That could mean actually being, you know, a compensated contributor or having a level of ownership in a certain working group, mm -hmm. if that's product, operational, technical, whatever it may be. So that's, um, you know, I just wanted to clarify that because that kind of comes off as like, mm -hmm. you know, an individual runs things when it's, it's yeah. far from the case, trust me. Nuance is important and you can show nuance in podcasts, especially video podcasts. We're Sweet. all for nuance. Sweet. Yeah, and it's a really, yeah, go ahead, Kent. I just wanted to ask a couple more questions about the DAO stuff. It's like from, you know, arguably Badger DAO has been one of the longest DeFi DAOs in the game, you know, from, from the very beginning. Like, are there other DeFi DAOs that you kind of look to and be like, damn, they run a tight DAO? You know, are, are there any other good DAO role models that, you know, some folks who wants to start their own DAO should be kind of studying right now? Yeah, I, um, I'm a big fan of uh, how Synthetics runs their DAO and the Synthetics DAO. You know, again, um, from just being practical in making efficient decisions, right? They have councils with mm -hmm. clear policies clear parameters of the types of decisions that they make. They're held accountable by token holders with a, a cadence in reevaluating those participants and voting those folks in. They then um, continue to solicit community insight and feedback through an improvement proposal process, forums and things along those lines. 
And it's more of like ingesting that information as an elected person would to then make the best decision based on all that information in this given area, right? And having parameters around mm. how to accelerate those decisions in emergency situations or whatever would need to happen. So I think that's great. Um, and and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And, and it inspires to know we've thought about um, having an impact at Badger. I'd say, um, I'd say Ave as well is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, Ave, I think uh, the, the way that they have very qualified um, groups, those could be DAOs, those could be service providers, those could be individuals or a group of individuals that have sp- you know, certain types of responsibilities. And then that's supported by their grant infrastructure. And those, and those groups have, and like mm-hmm. there's just delineation and who does what and why, again, with, unch- with, with complete on-chain transparency, if that's like the Llama crew, if that's the, the, the uh, board, uh, board ghost, development group, if that's mm. chaos labs, if you know what I mean? Like, you know, th- those right, right. specific groups have certain focus areas. They deliver it at a very high level, super professional, reevaluate on a consistent basis and knock it out of the park to keep the protocol and the subset of protocols running very smoothly. You know, that's much more efficient than like, Hey, Dave, I want you to do risk management. You're like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Hey, well, I got so it. Put me in, coach. This. Yeah, like, but that, like, that's how it is. Like, it's like you have randos that come in the community and they're just like, yeah, yeah I want to own this. And it's like, okay, here's a try. And then like, you don't really, like, DAOs don't really have a way of like onboarding or offboarding. So like, then they're in and then, then they're like deeper in and then they're like just doing a shit job. But like, how do you kind of manage that? So having yeah. those lines in the sand to enable decisions to be made by, you know, the folks with all the information and for the, the benefit of, you know, the on-chain business, the protocol, the community, all keeping that in, in mind. Um, I think it's, it's aspirational and how, how things should be looked at. And then, you know, obviously want to give a shout out to Frax. I think Frax, you know, from how they organize their DAO and, and genuinely putting um, all decisions from front to back, you know, in the hands of the community members to vote. And um, in a very transparent way, which which is is eighty percent of the battle, right? You could only imagine mm-hmm. protocols that call themselves DAOs, but decisions are being made, you know, well before they ever get to the point of um, having any type of mm-hmm. token holder uh, vote or um, or insight, or excuse me, or uh, feedback. But you know, with them in particular, from from the get go till now, they've obviously you know worked towards um, being as transparent yeah. as possible, and. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I'd say across the, the three DAOs. Yeah, I think Frax has done a good job of developing these systems in place and categories in place for different topics and issues to be voted on. It could be as simple as getting a gauge, or it could be as complex as getting an AMO or a different partnership. Hell, I know going through that whole process very well through the grant, <laughs> just getting grants over the past eight nine months. It's a lot of politicking. It's a lot of you know listening to the community, making sure you have all your bases covered. And the Frax community in particular is very tedious and they will, you know, tear your proposal limb from limb yeah. if you don't come with your shit right. And so yeah, that actually listen, makes for like a high not, not much, not much gets over. past the uh, C2 and the convex crew. So, you know, we all know <laughs> oh. that they have some influence. So you better be prepared Maybe for a the little. C2 scrutiny. Yeah. I promise you that. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I call I call it the the C two busting your balls. Honestly, he he will. Mm. You have to go through the busting your balls, but like once you show that you know you're legit, you're real. Like C two TP will work with you and is reasonable. Like everything, I think like if you look at like Frax governance, like things that get approved and things that don't get approved, there's a legitimate reason why it doesn't get approved. And mm-hmm. I, you know, sometimes people are like, you know, sour about that, but it's not like out of like nowhere just because like there there's there's a reason but yeah the whole yeah well and then convex is another example of a DAO that like isolates certain decisions and chops up those decisions so the the folks that care about it right like Mm -hmm. you know an example of that like most participants that want to hold and lock cvx really only give a shit about outside of solvency of the on-chain protocol but obviously um, where those emissions go and where that vote weight for curve goes. Like, that's literally yeah. it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Give me that. I'm over the moon. Do I do I care about these other things? No. So, like, if you can make more efficient decisions with a group, and I do believe there always should be some level of temperature check and the community mm-hmm. should have a say and, and there should be some type of evaluation process and, you know, determining, you know, which smaller group makes these decisions and holding them accountable. But like, you know, it's not this, you know, everyone should have an input on everything. Let's figure mm-hmm. out what are the things that token holders actually want to have an impact and, and influence on and make that a reality, especially in the earliest days, as you work towards progressively decentralizing, getting your, your feet under you, both from like, you know, an on-chain protocol and user and, you know, smart contract um, uh, maturity and in, in everything that you're building, right? Like it's, there's nothing worse than, you know, putting a contract out there and you're also trying to organize operational stuff or vice versa, and then neglecting certain things on either side because they, you know, they each have their own levels of importance. So often um, most of these contributor groups are much smaller and those that are, you know, trying to make this a reality, like this decentralized future, you know, they're not these large organizations with all these business units and all this, all this type of stuff. So you, you put attention in one area, you have to take it away, you know, in the other area. So if you can eliminate as much of the noise to just focus on delivering on what needs to be delivered on and then progress towards, you know, opening up, you know, that footprint over time and that imp- in that uh, feedback loop, I think the bit you're better off. Yeah, I just get flashbacks to the past two MCONs I went to. I'm, I'm not sure if you went to those uh, spada boom, but MCON in 2021, you know, it was Kumbaya. DAOs were this new concept. It was exciting. I was like, yeah, we're going to change the world. Yeah, we're all going to work together. It's all going to be great. It was all, you know, it's very Kumbaya. And then MCON 2022 rolls around and it was like, all right, guys, we need to have standards. Some people don't reach those standards. Okay, we're going to have to have processes. It's like we learn the same lessons in human coordination over and over again, just with different technology. And DAOs were mm-hmm. us learning those coordination problems and issues with blockchain and hopefully using blockchain to uh, quote unquote, defeat Moloch and, you know, be more efficient and whatnot overall. Um, totally. But yeah, uh, another DAO, I think that is, uh, you know, um, something to model off of is the Curve DAO. Um, I think mm-hmm. Curve has like, it's def- something to strive for. Um, with all their processes. And I just think of when they had that emergency situation, I think you remember that I think it was either in 2021 or 2022 with uh, Mochi when Mochi was just 
gobbling up uh, convex or something, and they just like cut down the. I forget. I forget exactly what happened. But do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. They they bought a million. Yeah. They like used like they used their LPs or their community to pretty much like dump on them to buy CVX, and then it was just yeah, it was it's kind of crazy what they did. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. Curve, what curve you- is a uh, curve is another example. I think you know what what's so aspirational about Curve is not only have they worked towards decentralizing the operations, but they've just continued to be a leader at you know bringing truly decentralized technology to the forefront and um, the stuff that mm-hmm. they build and the standard to which they build them. Again, because there's two lines, right? You can have you can have this ridiculously decentralized organization with the with these very permissioned, um, you know tech pieces or smart contracts or whatever, you know, however you're building it um, versus, you know, having uh, some, some like low um, slider points of decentralization on operational side, but, um, or more inarguably more realistic kind of parameters in how decisions are made operationally and, you know, much um, more uh, decentralized tech that you bring, that you bring to the forefront um, quicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think Curve especially, it's important for them to be as decentralized as possible because if you remember from our last interview, Kit, with uh, DeFi Cheetah, he calls Curve like the pricing power um, for stablecoins, like the point of pricing power for all stablecoins. Like if you want to check if a stablecoin's pegged, you go there. You don't even go to a centralized exchange. So in the future, when I hope like payment stablecoins come online and are approved and there's this whole new renaissance of stablecoins, that make their way into DeFi, there's going to be one place for them to go to find yield and find liquidity and maintain their peg. And that's curve. And you can't have that when you have billions and tens of billions, if not like trillions of dollars in a protocol, you can't have it just like in a multi-sig. Mm-hmm. Agreed, man. Yeah. No Agreed. And so, um, so, so guys, I, I shared a, a message um, and just to be, yeah, just yep, to be yep. conscious to, to it for sure. Uh, got you. I got you. Um, and, you know, Spider Boob, uh, this has okay. been such a great conversation. And I'm so glad you made the time to come onto the flywheel and speak to the 100 DGEN users uh, who will definitely <laughs> be using eBTC. But, you know, at, at the end of all these, I, you know, we'd like to get to know you more as, you know, the builder behind the project, the individual, you know, the man himself. So, starting with some uh, rapid fire questions here is first, what was the first time you touch the blockchain? What was your virgin crypto experience? And sex don't count. Sex doesn't count, eh? Uh, 2013, and um, I bought Bitcoin off of an Excel spreadsheet on a wall <laughs> from a live auction on Wall Street at the Bitcoin Center. Who's the okay. guy at the Bitcoin Center? What was his name? Nick Spiros. Nick, Nick Spiros. <laughs> Yes. Oh, wow. Last from <laughs> the past. Okay. Second question. What is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity? What are some hobbies and interests of yours? Working out. I used to be a competitive bodybuilder and um, playing basketball. Although I'm uh, five foot seven on a good day Italian, I, uh, I <laughs> some boobs and I've been playing for a while. So I, I love, even though I'm getting a little older here, I like to play basketball as, uh, as frequent as I can and, and also spend time with my kids and, you know, yeah. I highly value I in, family I, in my life. I was going to say the comparisons with Frax and Badgers, you know, 
the uh, propensity towards weightlifting and also being positive mm. some. Like you love that connection between the two communities. Um, what's some advice that you would give to you, your younger self? Um, my advice would be to continue to keep um, the long-term picture in mind and invest as much time as consistently as possible at, um, at self-reflection and being as, you know, being both as, uh, harsh on yourself as you are, um, as you are lenient on yourself, because, you know, many times without a clear direction, it makes it harder to actually, um, know where you're going and why, but it also makes it, makes you more willing to, you know, beat yourself up and kick yourself in the teeth when in some instances it's really just part of the journey. And if you keep pushing towards, you know, getting better every day at whatever you're doing and feeling confident that you're actually, you know, giving it all you got while having this bigger long-term goal in mind, you know, you'll eventually get there. And I think, you know, as individuals, we should always be lifelong learners and always just trying to be better at, at a bunch of cool new stuff, right? Like by no means does that mean just professionally oriented. That could mean anything, right? You're, you're 35, you want to start learning how to play golf or you want to start, you know, learning how to figure skate. You want to, you know, do whatever, um, you know, it's, it's all possible. You just got to hit it. And speaking of everything possible, this is the last question here is if you weren't working in crypto, what would your professional career be? Hmm. I'm going to have to go with an athlete. I've had aspirations of being an athlete um, from the earliest days of my life. So I would say a professional athlete. That, that would be in, more specifically a basketball player. I like that answer. Great answer. Mm -hmm. Great. Answer. <laughs> Finally, like a physical answer. <laughs> uh, Spadaboom, yeah. thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for Bitcoin, not only just Bitcoin filling us, but Bitcoin, like filling us on Bitcoin all over the place. Yeah, guys, listen, this is great. I'm really, I'm really happy that you guys have been doubling down on this podcast. I, I feel like you've done a wonderful job. You know, just, you know, th this is such a niche thing right and so yeah. many people really need to mm -hmm. understand and learn more because i just think this is the beginning like there's you know this this yep. even the word flywheel like the flywheels that we're going to see in years to come are just going to be insanity so um definitely big kudos to you guys for for grinding for hitting it for building in the bear market um for you know spreading the news and and keeping everybody you know up to speed on what's going on and you know let's uh let's keep hitting it together man yeah, we'll keep on building, sure. building a bear. Thank you, everyone, for watching this episode of Flywheel DeFi. This time we had on Spadaboom at BadgerDAO. Badger, wait, what's the saying with Badger? Like, you know, Honey Badger, Honey Badger, the Honey yeah. Badger. Yeah, that's it. Um, you know, and is the honey sweet in Bitcoin DeFi? And as you said at the beginning, he's trying to make Bitcoin DeFi great again. Uh, Kit, any final thoughts on this one? I think people just got to go and listen to the post show. Yeah, uh, they got to listen yeah. to the post show. We yeah, really we got, went to town there. Yeah, we got Sam on there. Sam has a lot to say. I have a lot to say. There's so many things I wanted to ask him, but we didn't get to. 
And yeah. I, we just go over all of that in the post game. So why don't you just head down there, go to our Substack, flywheeloutput.com, go to the link, subscribe, make sure you never miss a beat and hit that bell button. If you really want to never miss a beat, make sure you catch every video, subscribe, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Give us a thumbs up. We appreciate the love. And follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi. Join the conversation at FlywheelDefi. And you can follow me on Twitter at DefiDave22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And go to that post game right now. Do it. Go, 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 go. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and it's not in investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.